Well, Nicole, welcome to the journey. So uh, we have Nicole Bennett with us today, and uh, let me let me just explain a little bit about uh, what the journey is about. Um, the journey is um, is just a is a show that really um, has guests on that we either explain about their own personal stories of how they have either had obstacles in their life and then they failed forward, or as they have been navigating through life. Um, they felt maybe they were called in a particular direction um, to either either help out or get involved with something or make a difference in, in the world um, based upon a need that they saw and then just coming and sharing their experience with that as as they've traveled their own life's journey. So uh, that's essentially what the journey is about. Every week it's a little bit different, um, but that's the, the simple pattern. Um, so welcome uh, and glad you could be with us today. I know we met, I think, for the first time last January um, at the um, uh, the parent university. Yep, yes. Yeah, at Lincoln Middle School, Brian Weevil was uh, put, put that on and um, and there was, I, I'm pretty sure we had a pretty pretty bad snowstorm the night before um, and we were all questioning if we were even going to meet that day. So, but it seemed like we had uh, a lot of the a lot of the people, a lot of the educators that were there. But then, unfortunately, we didn't have as many uh, students and parents show up as I know that they're hoping to in the future. But um, so so uh, if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself before we jump into your your story, um, what does Nicole do for fun? When you have an opportunity to have fun, what do you do for fun? Uh, let's see, for fun. Um... So I have two dogs, which if you hear them, I'm going to apologize ahead of time. Um, okay. <laughs> so I have two dogs um, and I like to spend time with them. So running, um, hanging out with them. Um, I'm newly married. So um, my husband and I like to go out to eat, um, travel. I'm a huge traveler. Uh, my life's goal is just to fill up the passport as much as I can. Um, I like to read. I joined a book of the month club. Um, so that's been really fun during quarantine to like get excited about the mail and, uh, what new books I have going on. So yeah, so that's what I, I do for fun. I have siblings, um, younger siblings, two of them, uh, two sisters. And so they keep me very entertained and, um, involved in younger folks um, they made me join TikTok, so that's something oh, that I okay. <laughs> did during quarantine. Um, so, so yeah, so um, one of them just got engaged, so we have a wedding to plan, so I'm really excited oh. about that. Uh, I like to plan and be organized, so, uh, so yeah, so I'm really excited about that, too. So if we if we looked on your bookshelf, what would be one of your uh, books that stand out? What would be a, a book that we would see on your bookshelf that we know that is uh, one of your favorites because it's been read or it's uh, bent over and creased a few times? Okay, so I'm in I'm in my own office. Uh, this is my wedding present. My husband made me my own office uh, okay. where no one is allowed. No dogs. No boys. No one else. Uh, so that's a great question. Uh, how to, uh, to Kill a Mockingbird is my very favorite book of all time. Okay. Um, let's see here. Uh, know My Name by Chanel Miller is a book about a survivor of sexual assault. So that is a book that I have marked up, written, uh, recommended um, very, very highly of. And um, Untamed by Glennon Doyle. I think okay. that is my most highlighted book. Okay. I am absolutely obsessed with her. Um, her other books, I have them on reserve at the library. I'm just waiting for them to come in. Um, 
but those I feel like are really, they have feminist perspectives um, in her book. And it's parenting, it's being, um, it's having faith. It, it has so many cool aspects that I think everybody from all walks of life could, could find, so. Well, the, uh, my, my daughter is, uh, she's an avid reader and so similar to her father and, um, and I recommended for her to read that book, uh, this summer during, during quarantine. So as she was taking one of her summer classes, uh, she's finishing up undergraduate school right now. And, and that was one of her books that she, she read as well. So, uh, she, she, she enjoyed it as she was, as she was reading through it, I was asking her different things about it. So she, she liked that. Um, so let me ask ask you about traveling so a place that stands out when you were traveling what's a what's a place that that stood out to you that I mean I imagine you've been to many beautiful places but what's what's a place that kind of surprised you either in beauty or the people or culture or it surprised you uh, so I, I would I picked two um, okay. my first one I would say was DC so um, both of these places I went to, I went to in the same summer. So it was kind of a really cool thing. Um, my sister had a basketball tournament and I've always wanted to go. And so I'm like, oh, I'll go to the basketball tournament. I'll come watch. I'll do whatever. But sightsee the whole time as well. Um, but I love politics. I like um, rules, order, policy, protocol. So when I went to DC, I'm like, oh my goodness, it's laid out by the alphabet and the numbers and like cross street so a street crosses with 10th avenue and like it just the way their city is organized was great and then um just all of the museums so much history um to be able to see um like women's right to vote to be able to like actually look at the document that was signed so women get the right to vote and to be able to see our constitution and dinosaurs and it really anything that you could care about uh there's something for you there so i really liked there and then that same summer, I um, did kind of like an individual missions trip. So I was in graduate school and I really wanted to um, get more of a macro view and understand really how large the world is. And I'm only one person in this great big world. So I traveled to Ghana. So they had multiple places um, that you could travel, but just happened in that month that Ghana was a choice. And so I traveled to Ghana. I was there almost three weeks. Um, in a village called Hawaii. And so I got to, uh, social workers and counselors are not um, professions in Ghana and in the village that I was in. So they said, well, you can go into school. So you can be in a school, you can do groups, so you can still do what you do. It's just the children aren't gonna know feelings. They're not gonna know things kind of how you, you do them. And so my goal was to try and teach teachers skills that they could use, so coping skills, um, emotional regulation, feelings, things that I could tangibly leave there to try to have teachers still kind of fill my role, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, and that was amazing. I, when I left, they gave me, um, I don't have it in here right now, but they gave me, it's called a Kenti cloth. And it, it um, was like an honor to be able to have one. It's an extremely expensive um, cultural piece. And they did an entire assembly for me to thank me. And all the kids said blessings upon my cloth. Um, and it was amazing. I, anybody that will ever listen, I talk, all of my family say like, wow, she went to Africa one time. Um, but it will forever have changed my heart, uh, the way I view the world. Um, the kids, they were just so, so amazing. So yeah, those would be my two places. Well, that's, well, the, the, 
the um, your African trips just sound like it was a pretty phenomenal. And you were what? What? You, how old were you? And what year were you in school? So I was a uh, senior. Uh, it was my last year of graduate school, um, and I did it in the summer, so 2014. Um, okay. And it was cool. It was my first time I had traveled independently. So. Uh, my mom had a really rough time uh, with me traveling uh, to the other side of the world almost. And so uh, she, uh, we got to communicate via email. So they are, um, the, it's, I think six and a half hours, if I remember correctly, ahead. So uh, my mom, we talk every single day on the phone. And so my mom was very anxious about my trip. And so I emailed her while I was there. Um, however, in Hawaii, they do kind of rolling outages. So for like three days, there's no electricity, so there's no way I could contact her. But I thought, oh, she'll be fine. It'll, I'll contact her when I can. I didn't know how long the power is going to be out. Um, and this was when there was the Ebola outbreak in um, Ghana. It wasn't in Hawaii, but it was, it was still um, somewhat close. And so um, the Peace Corps contacted my mom because I was on a list of people traveling to Africa. So they contacted her to say that there was an Ebola outbreak and if you have any concerns, this is the number to follow. Well, the fact that I hadn't contacted my mom and it just so happened, it was an automated call. It had nothing to do with where I was. Um, my mom for three days was very distraught, um, but ended up okay. I was fine. I didn't even know that there was a concern. So, um, sure. so uh, I got to do lots of cool things within my program too. So um, they're so thankful that you come to help and to try to help um, better their education system. So um, the, the people who are in charge of the program, I would um, do counseling in the morning and then they would take me, um, I got to see the, this large waterfall in Ghana, um, pottery classes, um, I got to meet a bone doctor. Um, they really want you to see as many different aspects outside of your culture, just so you have an appreciation and an understanding. And so, um, so you get to really be immersed, you learn languages. So every night you take a language class which we still did by candle, even when we had no electricity, um, to speak a way and try to really um, relate to the students you're interacting with. You appreciate them. Um, so yeah, it was a really cool experience. Oh, it's, it sounds like it was just amazing. What, where did you get your master's? I got my master's at, in Loyola. So I started at uh, George Williams College my first two years. And then uh, I really felt as uh, my plan was to be an independent uh, practitioner. And so um, Loyola seemed more suited for what I wanted to do because I knew once I got my master's, you're really on your own. There's nobody to, to really help you and to guide you. Um, you have supervision, obviously, but uh, Loyola had actual people practicing. So they have their uh, private practice in the morning. They'll teach in the afternoon or vice versa. And so I really liked that hands-on experience. It was more child and family focused, which is what my specialization is in. And uh, it was an amazing program. So, um, so yeah, so Loyola, so go Ramblers. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, it sounds like it, it, just the fact that you had that opportunity and, and you, and you chose to take it just, and, and those are those things where you just never know how, you know, you, you, you committed three weeks, you said three weeks, right? You were over yeah, there for three weeks. Yeah. yeah. Three weeks um, to being there, but what you get for it is, is amazing. It ends up, as they say, priceless, right? That yeah. to, to be able to have those experiences and it probably also had to do with how you did your three weeks while you were there. It, I mean, because it sounds like you try to get as much as you possibly could out of the, out of this experience as well. 
Yes, and I wanted to try to make sure that I was going and um, learning. My whole goal was to learn. Obviously, I wanted to assist, but I, I have a profession that doesn't exist in their country, so maybe it's not even needed. So going and seeing kind of what the kids needed or what staff needed, um, like domestic violence. They, there's not a domestic violence shelter, for example. So teachers kind of assist students with that. So um, I really, really tried to just go and learn and listen and not push an agenda, not have a, um, I don't know, I read lots of reviews and blog posts and I really uh, just, yeah, just wanted to try to go and learn and try to help the best way that I could. But yes, like you said, I, I was the one who was helped when I came away from the, to the experience. It was that I felt more impacted than maybe I feel like I did to others. But Sure, sure. So uh, kind of stepping back a little bit. Well, I have to ask, so your husband's first name? My husband's first name is Dominic. Dominic. And so is he a carpenter? What is, you said he built you an office. So what I, that implies to me that he's a, he's a carpenter, but what, is it, what does Dominic do? Uh, so Dominic is not a carpenter. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, so by day, he, um, he is a liquor rep for a company outside of Rockford. Okay. Um, but then at, by night, he's a DJ. So oh, okay. uh, various skills. Um, he's an amazing uh, uh, salesman, but he has the best way of talking to people and relating to people. He is the most passionate person and patient person I've ever met which is why me being a social worker, I feel like it uh, works out really, really well that um, he has a very nice way that he handles me just very so slightly. So. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, congratulations on your guys' marriage. And so, so, so Nicole, are you, are you from the Rockford area or are you, are you a transplant? Where, where'd you grow up? Yeah, so I uh, born and raised in Rockford. I attended Jackson Elementary School. And I actually attended Lincoln, uh, where I work, um, and so that's kind of a cool thing. And then my family moved, so I went to Winnebago for high school. Okay. Um, after high school, I uh, still lived in the area. I had a, a grandpa that was really, really ill, so I didn't go away to school. I stayed here at Rock Valley to be able to take care of my grandpa until he passed away. Um, so I got my associates here, um, and then I went to Illinois State for my undergrad, which is in sociology. And then eventually went on to get my master's at Loyola. Gotcha. Okay. So, so our backgrounds are not that, well, a couple of years difference, but not that different. I actually grew up in Rockford, went to Hallstrom, which is not a great school anymore. Um, but they did, uh, they do, I think, homeschool co-ops there. Mm -hmm. And then um, I would have gone to Lincoln, but that's when we moved out to McChesney. Um, and I went, graduated from Harlem, went to Rock Valley, and then Illinois State, and got a degree in psychology. And then, um, and then I, um, and then after that, uh, worked for a couple of years, and then went to U of I to get my master's degree in social work. Um, so, uh, so what what led you to want to do social work? What how did that all come about? So at uh, Winnebago, so when I was in um, middle school, like I was not a very good student. I didn't take school serious. Um, I was one of those kids that showed up and someone would say like, all right, we're gonna take our test. I'm like, oh, there's a test today. Well, okay. Uh, so I did just wasn't a very engaged student. Um, when we moved to Winnebago, I had some amazing teachers at Winnebago and I got, uh, re-engaged in learning. And, um, then it became my goal to do the best that I can. Cause I felt like I kind of had to make up for that time that I wasn't, uh, necessarily doing as well as I could have. 
Um, and I had some good teachers that really pushed um, the idea of college and like it's not that difficult to, to be able to get into college. Like you could figure it out. You have, you know, quite a few years to do that. So um, I decided, okay, I want to be an elementary education teacher. So I got a scholarship from uh, Winnebago to be able to go to Rock Valley to do that. I entered classes and after a week, I think week one, so I went twice. I'm like, this is not at all for me. I knew I wanted to work with kids. It just, that's, it just wasn't for me. So I looked at what classes were available and I had taken an introduction to sociology class at Winnebago and I loved it and I um, really excelled in it. So I thought, oh, I'll take sociology. So I took sociology that semester um, and I took another class called social problems and the teacher, uh, Jenny Kaczynski is, one of my all-time favorite people, um, and she made the class so uh, just like you wanted to be involved. And one of her requirements was you had to volunteer for 10 hours. So I kind of got last pick, and there was a place called Motherhouse Crisis Nursery, which still exists today through Children's Women Aid. And so I, okay, I don't know what a crisis nursery is, so I go, and it was awesome, as awesome as a crisis nursery can be. But it's a program where students can go, I mean students, sorry, children can go, up to age six, they can go for 72 hours. They can go as short as an hour, but um, it's, it's people from all walks of life. So if somebody has a um, substance abuse appointment that they need to not be able to take their children to, or they have a housing appointment, or maybe today was a really rough day and they just really need a break. So they're gonna have their kids go overnight. Um, it's trained professionals, all background check, their food, like food, clothing, um, games, bathing, all of that, that really takes care of kids um, so parents can, can have a break. And so I liked their program so much that there were so many different children that needed assistance, but their whole common ground was kind of this agency and like it, it really um, surrounded them. And so um, when I was younger, I, I had a person that used to say children should be seen and not heard. And what I loved about Mother House was, no, you are seen and you are heard and we, we, you matter and we will make sure that you know you matter. Um, your family matters and it, it was like kind of a wraparound service. So then I decided, okay, well, I'll get my degree in sociology. And so I really liked studying children and doing research because I like research assessments, things like that, that really could figure out what were the needs of kids. And if we don't ask them questions and we don't involve them in the services we decide for them is basically how our system is kind of set up. Um, we don't know what they need or we don't know what, um, you know, what's on their heart. So I got my degree in sociology um, from at, being at Illinois State. Um, I had a teacher that was like, do an internship. If you can do an internship, do an internship. Um, his name is Tom Gershik, another high um, regarded person. And so he's like, the experience, you will always treasure that over a, just an elective, do that. So I interned with um, Department of Children and Family Services and I did an intact internship. And so with intact, you keep to, try to keep the kids to the best of your ability inside the home with parents. So provide services for um, the children inside the home so they're not removed like as in foster care. And once again, I really liked this because it was hands-on experience working with kids. And it was really figuring out what is the actual need of this family and let's provide resources as much as we can and kind of get the family stable. Um, so from that, I learned I really like working individually with kids. So I might as well go get my master's in social work so that I can someday counsel. So went to school to do that, to, um, to be able to get my master's. And once I was there, I decided, yes, I want to do counseling and I want to do kids. So all of my studies were focused on trauma, crisis, 
assessing children. So really meeting with kids to figure out what is the root issue of whatever is going on um, and really making sure that, um, I say this all the time, but really seeing that kids are seen and heard and really making sure that you are an advocate for them until they can advocate for themselves. So empowering them um, and, and just really having just the individual needs to address like the whole child. And um, so I eventually worked at the Carrie Lynn Children's Center, um, whereas they do sex abuse and physical abuse of children. And um, that was really the, it really got um, to the core of what I like to do and to be able to, um, like I said, just be able to advocate for kids. So. So, so for people that don't really know what Carrie Lynn, because Carrie Lynn obviously has a very unique um, work that they do. And, mm -hmm. and years ago, um, when I first opened up KP, I had been asked to be on their volunteer. They, when they used to have the advisory boards, um, mm -hmm. Yeah. And I and I was involved with that for a few years. Um, uh, Katie uh, Zuick, am yeah. I saying her? Did I say her name right? Yeah, Zuki. Zuki, and um, sorry about that, Katie. Um, so, <laughs> um, but she's a great lady and has run a great program over there. Um, so, w working at Carrie Lynn, maybe just give us a little bit, give the listeners a little bit about what does Carrie Lynn do and some of their background and how they fit as part of the fabric. Um, of helping children in in this particular area? Yeah, so um, the Carrie Lynn Children's Center is um, the Child Advocacy Center um, for our county. And um, the Carrie Lynn Center is named after a little girl. Her name is Carrie Lynn Gaines. Um, so she was murdered in our city. And um, it's when, when she was um, missing, so first her family, uh, family members would say, like, we haven't seen Carrie Lynn in a long time. And then um, over time, you know, her mom would say, oh, she's here or that she's with this relative or just really not conclusive of where is she? Why can we not find her? And so um, eventually they did an investigation and found out that Carrie Lynn had been beaten to death and she was buried in the backyard. She was wrapped up in a little baby blanket and um, she, she was deceased. And so... The Carrie Lynn Center was started um, in part with um, the state's attorney at the time, which was Paul Logley, um, started to really have a house, have a place where kids would um, be looked for. So if something was wrong with a child, somebody had a concern, there was an agency that was gonna do something about it, which is what the Carrie Lynn Center does. So as soon as um, somebody suspects that a child has been physically abused, sexually abused, some kind of trauma, they contact DCFS, um, which the number is 1-800-25-ABUSE if anybody needs it. Um, but they contact the hotline, report that, and depending on what um, the allegations are or what is um, assumed to have happened or alleged to have happened to a child, they come to the Carrie Lynn Center. And they have amazing staff. Everybody in the building is trauma-trained. Everybody inside the building um, has a specific training to be able to work with children. So there's forensic interviewers who perform interviews that are um, on a one uh, two-sided mirror, I'm sorry. So that way children can be recorded when they give their interview, which at first people sound, um, get kind of hesitant of like, oh, recording children. However, this is so a child only tells their story one time. So if you are um, a 10 year old female who's been sexually abused, you don't want to tell law enforcement, tell the prosecutor, tell a social worker, like you want to tell it one time and that's it. And the people are trained to receive the information. So to minimize trauma for children disclosing. And then 
from there, there's counseling that can be provided. The Carrie Lynn Center works in accordance with um, merit, which is the part of that does physical exam, um, exams on children um, with Dr. Davis and Shannon um, Kruger. And so they do exams on the children as well. And so everybody who um, interacts with the case are all trauma trained and able to do what's in the best interest of the child, only best interest of the child. And again, I imagine just knowing just my the involvement that I've been involved there and when I've made referrals and, and had had clients that were uh, from KP that had they, you know, had experiences with um, uh, Carrie Lynn in almost I can't think of anybody who had a bad experience. I mean, it's it's mm-hmm. it's a tough situation if you're there, but um, they've all been um, in every experience that I can think of. Everybody's. Um, under the under difficult circumstances been as you said earlier see seen and heard and so that which i think is the key yes and um i kathy pomahawk provided me a stat uh, last year for the there was a domestic violence march uh downtown and kathy had she's the executive director of carrie lynn and she provided a stat that i think it was almost 700 kids that utilized the carrie lynn center last year wow so a lot of a lot of children so that's that's extremely unfortunate, but I'm glad Carrie Lynn Center can be there for 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 those for those children. Mm-hmm. So so kind of bringing us up to where you're at now. So so you have kind of a unique position. I mean, as as it says, you know, as it goes, um, this is a pretty unique time period. I mean, I I I think of when we first met and what we were trying, you know, what was happening at at Lincoln and with the Rockford Public uh, School System when Brian Weevil was doing the Parent University and trying to reach out for us to be, um, you know be resources for for the parents as well as for the students um but you know now with the pandemic and how that's impacting the schools i mean there's so many things that are starting off the school year definitely different than you know than a than nine months ago but um, why don't you first tell us what what you're doing you have a unique role you you're working uh, yeah why don't you just go ahead and explain what you're doing now okay uh so i uh, my title is director of middle school success Um, with United Way of Rock River Valley. Um, And so I'm a licensed clinical social worker that is um, housed, I like to say, uh, at Lincoln Middle School, um, in in which I had said before, it's it's really kind of a a weird thing that, so I was the first set of sixth graders who attended middle school at Lincoln. So it used to be seventh and eighth. So when I became a sixth grader, I was the first grade. Um, I think I weighed like maybe 80 pounds um, and, you know, probably four foot something. Um, and so when students come in and they're like, Miss Nicole, you don't understand. I'm like, no, I, I, I do understand. This building is really big and it's really scary. I, I understand. Um, but so, yes, I'm, I'm situated at Lincoln Middle School and we're doing a program called Move the Middle. Um, and so with um, this position, the goal is to increase graduation rates. So graduation rates in Rockford Public Schools is 66% currently. And so the goal, um, when we asked our, our donors um, and people who, uh, who care about United Way, what it is that we really wanted to do and what did we, how did we want to make an impact and like kind of leave our, our mark, um, and it was graduation rates. And so, um, so this program, so my, my position or what I do is I review attendance behavior, course performance, and social emotional data to identify which students are off track. 
And so once those students have been identified to be off track, I try to provide resources. So I collaborate, um, you know, I meet individually with students, I contact parents, I meet collaborative, collaboratively with counselors, um, teachers, support staff, really anybody that will talk to me with a release um, to be able to figure out um, kind of what's the root issue. So um, if a student is uh, let's say running late and I, I look through the data and I see, you know, so-and-so is an almost an hour late, you know, twice a week. And then the days that they, um, uh, you know, that they may miss a lot of days. And so I'm going through the data to kind of figure that out. We'll come to find out students, um, students staying home to babysit. And so, okay, so your grades are slipping. So you're off track in grades and you're also off track in attendance because of an issue that's really greater than you as a 12 year old. I mean, what resource would you have other than to, to do exactly what your family needs. So then we're gonna put in resources and provide childcare resources to the family to be able to have that student's attendance go back up. Um, this, this program is called the Early Warning Response System. It gets based out of research from Johns Hopkins University. And studies show if a student is off track in attendance, behavior, or their math and English grade, so it could be one of the three, um, their probability of graduating on time or within one year of their peer is like 10 to 20%. And so to think that, because I work specifically with sixth graders, um, I'm working on actually um, adding a new achievement advocate for the, the seventh graders. Um, but for sixth graders to think if you're 11 and you're bullied in school, so you decide to stay home um, because that feels safer to you, that you would maybe not graduate high school, it, you know, in 12th grade. Uh, it's just, it's so alarming that it, um, it, it just, I am so excited this program is there to really collaborate, collaborate with, can't say that word today, <laughs> uh, with RPS to be able to do this and to really put funding in the schools um, is, it's, I'm so excited about it. You know, when you, Nicole, when you're talking about that, that research out of uh, John Hopskin, um, uh, regarding the idea that if someone is being unsuccessful in one of those three areas that that may leave such an impression on them that it then it's it's hard to um, undo that impression right that that it leaves a lasting impression that then contributes to their high school performance um, and, I, and I think of you know different stories that I've listened to and even my myself um, but how many times do we have an experience either a social emotional experience or an academic experience or something's going on in our home in middle school and we make a decision at that time that that's that's it that's that's how I view myself and that's the way it is. I mean, I, a silly example, but I remember in seventh grade, because that was the first year we could play sports, I made a decision that I wasn't going to be good at basketball, so I went out for wrestling. But I'd never played basketball, so I don't know how this 11-year-old knew I wasn't going to be, or 12 years old, whatever it was, how I wasn't going to be good at basketball or baseball. But that was the decision I made, so I picked an alternate sport. Um, and then I never played. So then I, I guess, proved the theory right. I never became good at those sports because I never played. But I, I, I think that that's probably what happens to a lot of people. They experience something or make a decision about something and then reinforce the story that they're telling themselves. And then mm -hmm. it becomes their truth and then may imp impact, you know, not graduating from high school or not, um, uh, not thinking that they're college material, whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think some students as well, 
um, their circumstances are just so much larger than they are that, that it would be impossible for them to figure it out. So I am a college educated uh, full-time employee with a car and I live in a house. And some of these situations, I don't know what I personally would do either. So, um, you know, students who um, have substance abuse use inside their home, domestic violence inside their home, they also are sometimes homeless. Um, they don't have access to a washing machine, don't have school supplies, um, and their bellies aren't full. How would anybody be successful the next day at work and we're all grown adults? And so it's, it's so, there, there just needs to be more resources and there needs to be people to check because some students are like, how did you even know I was late to school? I'm like, oh, I'm always checking. I'm always here, you know, kind of make it a joke, but some of them truly are like, how, how do you know? Like, how, do you, how does my teacher know that I'm not paying attention in class? Like, well, we all care about you a lot. So that's our whole job <laughs> is to pay attention to you and is to care about you. Um, our principal, uh, who's amazing, Sherston Garrigan, um, she has said over and over, students get in fights at school because they know we will break it up. They know it's safe. They know that we are paying attention to them. And so uh, we are our safe space, we are their safe space, we are their safe people, which also makes it really difficult during these times of remote learning, some in person, some not, um, this kind of uncertainty for students and for staff is that a lot of staff had anxiety of how are my students doing? I can't see them, I can't interact with them the same, and people adjusted absolutely during the time that we did remote before. Um, but it is, it's, it, it's, a, it's a challenge, that's for sure. So, so okay, so we'll, let's go there for a second. So, well, how, well, let me first ask, how long have, have you been with the United Way and how long has moving the, Move the Middle program been at Lincoln? So I started actually with United Way August 19th of last year, so I'm almost at my one year mark. Okay. Um, yeah. And so the program started in the fall of last year. Um, but it, it went so well that um, we got approval from Rockford Public Schools and from United Way to be able to add an additional staff. So that way the sixth graders that were in the program last year will continue to be followed. Um, and it's the entire grade. It's not just certain students in the grade. Um, if somebody becomes off track and an intervention is provided and they get back on track, they would still be followed. But it's not, um, it's not that a certain student who wasn't off track couldn't become off track and then... Um, be able to get services but um so that way there would be two achievement advocates in theory in the building um and we hope to be able to expand it to other middle schools um, because i think each middle school has its own unique challenges um, lincoln is situated in very um, low socioeconomic statuses so our needs are going to be obviously greater or different than kennedy's versus greater different than eisenhower um, so that would be the like long-term plan um, as we continue on Sure. So, so speaking of, you know, I mean, this last year was your first year in this particular program. Um, and then in March, we have a quarter left, you know, the fourth quarter left approximately. And, and now the thing that you normally rely heavily on, which is student contact and looking at some of those uh, ways of tracking them that, that all went away. Uh, or I'm assuming it went away. I should, I don't know. But so what was, what was it like? Yeah. What was that experience like last spring uh, being in the position where you couldn't do your job the way that you had been doing it up until that point? 
Yeah, I think that it made us as staff uh, work together much stronger than we even were before. So we had been meeting once a week as a team. But this time when we met once a week via Zoom, we had so many more things to discuss. And has so-and-so been able to talk to this student? Has so-and-so heard from this student? And we started tracking engagement, which I really, really loved. So instead of did somebody, you know, did somebody come to school that day or did somebody kind of connect through the day? No, were they engaged in each of the courses that they were supposed to be engaged in? So I really liked that way to measure uh, uh, for students but I think it made us work harder together. I think um, there were just different challenges. So we focused a lot on resources. So what food resources can we provide to um, assist with insecurity or uh, unemployment resources or things that we previously didn't necessarily focus on as much. Um, we still did groups via Zoom. So I still got to meet with students. And as soon as I would see them pop up in the waiting room, I'm like, oh, okay, they're there. And they're, you know, I'm excited to see them. And um, we did show and tell, which is like, when can you ever really do that in middle school? So um, I got to see animals of, of students and just random things that they have at their house. Um, so it was just like a different kind of contact and a different um, way that we all needed to. Um, so we like divided up the students, for example. So um, that way, everybody got an interaction with somebody in the building. So if a teacher had a concern, they would let me know or let a counselor know or let administration know. Um, just to make sure that everybody really was taking care of how we do inside the building during normal or quote unquote normal times. Sure, sure. Okay. And I think for so many times, you know, as people got through that time period, and I think for some people, it was that it was just getting through that time period. They weren't, they may not have really realized how some of our most vulnerable individuals in our city, um, our, our students, how it, it increased their vulnerability. Um, because like you said, school for them is one of their safest places that they have uh, throughout the day, throughout the week. And now that's the physical buildings removed from them. And so, so it's going to be different. And I know for, for, for myself as well as some other educators, they were concerned about, um, concerned about that what what may be happening that we're not able to see like we were before so thank goodness the technology was um was advanced as it is um so that we were able to do um to do zoom or do you know kind of teleconference um aspects of it so now moving into this school year and i know this has been like a moving uh, it's it's changes and still may change again before uh before the first day, what are you, um, what is it looking like moving into this coming uh, uh, 2021 school year? Yeah, so uh, in terms of sixth grade, we, um, well, right now we're doing a four day program. It's called SOS Summer, uh, SOS Jumpstart Summer Program, I think. So the uh, four days this week, it's in person for students at Lincoln to be able to get some extra assistance with reading and math. Um, and then we do like a social emotional activity slash snack um, just to get students like, all right, we're ready to learn. We're, we're, we're getting ready to start the school year. So we're doing that for four days this week. Next week, we're doing a sixth grade boot camp for two days, um, really bringing students in that would like to be able to be in person, bring them in, give them a tour of the building. Um, we can't use lockers necessarily right now, but when we can, um, so we're going to teach them how to do locks. Um, how to organize their, uh, all their materials. How do we do stuff with our schedule? Um, 
so many different uh, talk about my program that's another big one too. talk about discipline behavior safety protocol um, really get students as much ahead of us like as a, a jump start as we can before the school year starts um, and then yeah like like I said we're working diligently inside our building to figure out what's the safest way to do things um, you know how will children perceive what we're doing so to make sure that we're thinking about um, kind of any concerns students or parents have um, but yeah, moving forward, I, I, one of my big things that I want to try to figure out a way to do, um, and we're working with data to do that, um, is to figure out engagement. And so I'm working on possibly having like a dashboard um, program that we would use in accordance with what Rockford Public Schools already has, but to be able to track their engagement. Um, because if someone's remote for five days, I, that's their attendance is relevant, but also not as relevant because they could log in whenever they have the ability to do so. But I want to see, are you engaged or are you, um, you know, maybe needing a little bit of extra assistance or, or however I can provide um, social emotional support. Those are still going to happen. Um, we're just going to have to figure out a different way to do them. So we had Rosecrans doing a group called Overcoming Obstacles inside Lincoln. And so that works on um, decision making skills, getting along with peers, getting along with teachers, goal setting, organization, all kinds of things. And so um, we're just going to figure out a different way to provide that group. Same with individual counseling. Um, we had that with Children's Home and Aid. Just going to figure out a different way to do it. And so um, it's not that, you know, 2020, 2021 school year is canceled. That's not it. We're going to just get much more creative and maybe meet needs at a better way than we were able to before. Um, because I think that this could be a time where you could use creativity and you could um, just think of things differently. We've been doing school the same way since uh, forever. And so maybe we need a <laughs> new way to do it. Maybe, um, I know some students loved remote. They said that they loved that so much more than school, like in-person school. And so maybe this will be good for some students. So. Well, I, and I know that, you know, you, you've, you've had to endure a couple of my classes that I taught. So I, you, you know that that's uh, what we talk about all the time, that in the midst of this disorder that's happening, it's going to force us, um, it, we can either, it's either going to allow us to stay stuck, which everybody has the right to stay stuck if they want to, or it's going to provide an opportunity for us to think outside of our of, of that box and, and be innovative and be creative. And, and I think kind of like your, uh, you know, you didn't call it your personal mission, but that, that theme that seems to be wherever you go, it, it follows of wanting and advocating for children to be seen and heard. Um, that has been a central theme that you've talked about. And, and then you're not going to let the circumstances limit you and how that's going to be. Yes, there's challenges, um, but there's also ways of making that connection and, and ways of, of still connecting, still looking at data um, and, and still reaching out and, and, and you allowing the, the students to know that they can be seen and heard. Mm -hmm. so, yes, I absolutely agree. So, um, so you, I think if I understood what you were saying that, so this is the, uh, this is the beginning of the second week of the um, kind of onboarding of the sixth graders. Is that, is that what you were saying? Yeah. Yep. So this week has sixth, seventh and eighth graders are a part of the programming, but okay. next week would specifically just be sixth graders um, because we're in that transition period, which is very challenging for lots of students 
um, coming in in sixth grade. So middle school is tough in general, but sixth grade especially, um, our, you've been in, in our building is very intimidating. It is mm -hmm. very large. Um, there are a lot of stairs. Um, and so learning locks, um, passing periods. I mean, there's so many things that um, when you're in elementary school, you're more focused on like, this is our whole class. And so, but in middle school, you really become an individual because you're in a class, but you might go to another class where you don't know anybody and you mix, um, you mix children all throughout the day. And so we really want to try to give them as much information up front as we can. Um, like color coordinating your supplies, for example, we know math is red. So your red notebook, your red folder, you take all that to math or however, um, we can get through to them to be able to organize because then that's habits and skills that they can take all the way up um, as far as they're is, is there with us and continue on to whatever high school that they go to. Sure, absolutely. And I, and, and I think going back to what you said that the research was showing is that intervening, and, and I think that's what some people don't really know what we mean when we say intervene. To intervene is to uh, step in and coach someone or teach someone how to do something. And not that there's you know, only one way to do something, but they have to learn a way before they can adopt or adapt to their way, right? But they, yeah. they have to learn a basic way of doing it first, and then they can add to that. But at some point, it, we have to kind of breathe into them and speak into them and showing them a way to organize and not assume that everyone knows how to organize their locker or their, or their notebooks um, when they come in in sixth grade. Yes. Um, and, and I think, so let me, I was going to ask you, how, how has having the students in person, um, how is that, how, well, number one, how does that feel? And number two, uh, how, how did it go the first week and first week in a day? Yeah. So, uh, so far, so today we had um, the programming start, um, so we had 11 kids. Um, and it, it went really good. They seemed very happy. They, um, they, the sixth graders were a little bit nervous about the building, um, sure. but we showed them where things were and whatnot. Um, but they seemed to really enjoy being in school. Um, there, there was one student that did have anxiety kind of about how things were going to work and what it was going to be like, which is normal, absolutely normal. Um, we played games. So they played games with their masks and we socially distanced. We ate snacks, socially distanced. Um, and so, so far that, that has been, uh, it, it was fine. It, it was very different to wear a mask all day, um, interacting with children, because I have yet to do that. Um, and it, you know, makes you a little sad only because it is scary starting school and you don't know anybody there on top of having to do a brand new thing. Um, but they, they, you know, children are so resilient and they were fine. You give them a snack and play a game and they, you know, they, they, they did well, so. Sure. Well, and and I think that element of not only utilizing, because I do think children have a great ability to adapt and and to to be able to figure out how to play and have make make something fun, and and then with that is that opportunity to develop resiliency out of that, and and so when they come across another thing that seems to be some huge obstacle in their way, um, they can bring them back to this time period. Remember how you overcame, <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, whatever that, whatever it may have been. So um, Nicole is uh, how, if someone wanted 
to get involved or was interested or wanted to support um, moving the middle or just interested in hearing more about it? What, what would be the best way for people to learn more about moving the middle or try to help or support that? Yeah, so um, I, I, have, I can give my email at the end of this too, but um, you can always go on the United Way's page. So we have a specific portion of United Way's page that's for Move the Middle and has everything about Lincoln, kind of what we're doing there. Um, this year being how it is, volunteering isn't um, an option. So um, Rockford Public Schools at this time aren't letting volunteers in. Um, but if somebody wants to donate, um, we have a specific portion of our funding that is just for middle school. So sometimes we have people say, I'm a retired teacher and I can't help anymore, but I would really like to help with your new initiative. And so somebody can donate just directly to Move the Middle program. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, people have had really unique ideas about things they want to do. So doing like gloves, hat, mittens, coats, um, drives. Um, just donating in general. So here's $100 towards this function, something like that. Um, and I, I hate to be the one that asks for money, but I always need money. For my program. Sure, sure. Uh, so we, you know, we fund programs inside Lincoln, we fund training for teachers. So we did a trauma training last year for teachers to um, be able to get trauma training. Um, I might possibly do a self care training for teachers. Coming up, I did one for um, the mayor's office on domestic violence and human trafficking put on a training um and part of that was a self-care um excerpt and so it was for teachers but also how teachers could support students how teachers could support parents um so we do lots of training so um food <laughs> always the always you know food for events and whatnot uh like parent university we provided food for people to come and so um so yeah so i would just say if people are, are willing to donate it could be twenty dollars um, it could be an annual gift. It could be monthly, however people feel um, of the need to, to assist. Why don't we, while we're on that track, why don't you go ahead and just give your email address so if people want to reset it or, and then also just unitedway.org, right? Yeah, it, uh, unitedwayrrv.org. And then my email is Nicole, so N-I-C-O-L-E, at unitedwayrrv.org. So in case somebody forgets that, you can go type United Way, Rock River Valley, um, and all staff are listed. So my, my name is listed. Um, my phone number at Lincoln, because that's usually where I am. Um, my phone number is listed there, so people can um, reach me there. I also have my RPS email, which is Nicole, N-I-C-O-L-E dot Bennett, B-E-N-N-E-T-T, at rps205.com. So whichever works. Perfect. Well, Nicole, I appreciate you coming on and sharing what you're trying to, what you and what the United Way and what Lincoln in general, when I was there in, in the wintertime, I was really impressed with, uh, with the staff that I got to meet that day. And, and I know a couple of the, the individuals that are there, uh, the individual that runs the in-school suspension, uh, Dr. Verona and, and, and your, your nurse, uh, Lee Sanderson are both personal friends. So, uh, and then, and then meeting Ms. Gary and her vision of what she is trying to do. I, I was very impressed with um, the team that you guys have uh, put together. And I, and I can definitely hear in your voice the excitement of you, you being there and some of the things that you're trying to do. Um, and kind of going back to what you had said, what maybe started this thing all along with the idea of, of 
believing in your heart as a small person and then definitely later when you when you were in Africa as well as, as when when you worked with DCFS is that um, the idea of uh, children really were created to be seen and heard and how can you be an advocate for that and it sounds like that's exactly what uh, is uh, allows you to get up in the morning and uh, continue doing what you're doing so I appreciate everything you do and, and coming on the show if if there was anything that you wanted to kind of leave with today, what would be something you would want to leave the, the listeners today with? What a great question. Um, I don't know. I think that one thing that's really helped me lately and what I've been trying to anybody I interact with is just to make sure that everybody's kind of giving grace to the people they're interacting with. So whether that's your own personal family, staff, at anywhere you interact with, people at a grocery store, um, whatever, I think that everybody is really, really genuinely trying to do the best that they can right now. And so, um, you know, we're, we're diligently working, for example, at Lincoln of how to do it the very best. So we try to give each other grace of like, I have no idea how to do this, but we're sure going to figure it out. Um, so I think, you know, students trying to do the very best they can, like, let's make sure um, as people who have children, people who interact with them, like they really are trying to do the best that they can. And so um, just that we be patient during this time and that we, you know, give people the benefit of the doubt. I think that everybody has their own personal struggles, if not five, 10, 15 personal struggles. Um, and so my husband and I have had lots of discussions of like, wow, today was really rough, but you know, we're going to get back up. We're going to, you know, and, um, but it, I think it's acknowledging that it is really, really tough right now. And so, um, not trying to talk away somebody's pain, not trying to solve somebody's pain, just really sitting with people, letting them know that you're here um, that you're listening to them. Um, and yeah, just, just knowing everybody's doing the very best they can. And if they didn't today, maybe tomorrow they can, <laughs> Uh, you know, just, just, just grace. That's all. Well, I really appreciate Nicole. The other piece is that, um, you know, there's a lot of, you know, people may not hear uh, behind the scenes of what's, what's going on with educators and, and, and what's, what's happening and just hearing what, what you're doing and what you're, what the staff in general is trying to do at, um, at Lincoln, and that's not to say that I know a lot of schools are doing yes. what they can do, but um, but what specifically you guys are doing in the midst of the circumstances, um, how can we continue to meet the needs of the students as well as the staff during this um, during this time period, and and not only be safe with it, but how do we make a better how do we make it a better experience um, that maybe this is an opportunity to do that that we wouldn't have had if this didn't happen. So um, absolutely. Well, yeah. once again, thank you for being, thank you for doing what you're doing, but then also thank you for being on the show and being able to share that. So yeah, um, thank you for having me. I, I love to talk. So anybody, well, I'll hold you to that because sometime in the future, I'd like to have you come back and maybe you know, in the spring and kind of give us an update about how things are going and, and, and how things have been kind of, kind of working this year. And now you're into year two uh, what kind of movement you're starting to see so uh so again thank you and good. and you have a good school year all right thank you so much okay bye-bye bye you did great oh thanks okay <laughs> No, that was like, absolutely. I mean, if you think about the layout, the kind of the outline of what we wanted to do, it was like totally perfect. 
where you gave a backstory about who you are as a person and some personal experiences, but then also your educational experiences. So if anyone was li really listening to what, what your, your story, they know why you're so passionate about what you're doing right now. So, which yeah, is, I, I agree. Also, is it matter that it says recording still? Oh, Maybe. <laughs> that's, that's great. We're, we're still recording it. 